A reading from the book of Proverbs. When one finds a worthy wife, her value is far beyond pearls. Her husband, entrusting his heart to her, has an unfailing prize. She brings him good and not evil all the days of her life. She obtains wool and flax and works with loving hands. She puts her hands to the distaff, and her fingers ply the spindle. She reaches out her hands to the poor and extends her arms to the needy. Charm is deceptive and beauty fleeting. The woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her a reward for her labors, and let her works praise her at the city gates. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Blessed are you who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways, for you shall eat the fruit of your handiwork. Blessed shall you be and favored. Blessed are those who fear the Lord. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the recesses of your home. Your children like olive plants around your table. Blessed are those who fear the Lord. Behold, thus is the man blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Blessed are those who fear the Lord. A reading from the first letter of St. Paul to the Thessalonians. Concerning times and seasons, brothers and sisters, you have no need for anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief at night. When people are saying peace and security, then sudden disaster comes upon them, like labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness for that day to overtake, to overtake you like a thief. For all of you are children of the light and children of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as the rest do, but let us stay alert and sober. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus told his disciples this parable. A man going on a journey called in his servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to a third one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. Immediately, the one who received five talents went out and traded with them and made another five. Likewise, the one who received two made another two. But the man who received one went off and dug a hole in the ground and buried his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came back and settled accounts with them. The one who had received five talents came forward, bringing the additional five. He said, Master, You gave me five talents. See, I have made five more. His master said to him, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Since you were faithful in small matters, I will give you great responsibilities. Come, share your master's joy. Then the one who had received two talents also came forward and said, Master, you gave me two talents. See, I have made two more. His master said to him, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Since you were faithful in small matters, I will give you great responsibilities. Come, share your master's joy. Then the one who had received the one talent came forward and said, Master, I knew you were a demanding person, harvesting where you did not plant and gathering where you did not scatter. So out of fear, I went off and buried your talent in the ground. Here it is back. His master said to him in reply, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I did not plant and gather where I did not scatter. Should you not then have put my money in the bank so that I could have got it back with interest on my return? Now then, take the talent from him and give it to the one with ten. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will grow rich. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And throw this useless servant into the darkness outside, where there will be wailing and grinding of teeth. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Uh, This morning, we are going to deviate a bit from uh, the usual uh, operating procedure. I'm just going to say a brief word and then step aside. And uh, 
hand over to you uh, your time to uh, Mr. Greg Abu Abdel-Jor, who serves as a uh, valued member of the Pastoral and Finance Council to share with you this morning the uh, state of the parish. And um, I want to offer just some preliminary remarks on a very, very important element of how significant it is uh, to be given uh, on a Sunday Mass, the state of the parish. And I want to place the remarks in the context of the Second Vatican Council. Now this may seem a bit of a stretch, or somewhat of a puzzlement, as to what does the Second Vatican Council have to do with this. It has everything to do with it, if we really think about it. Because part of the great vision of uh, Saint John the Twenty-Third, who called the uh, Second Vatican Council, was the need to have the church engage the modern world, not to become of the modern world, but to engage the modern world, in which he asked for us not to reimagine a new church, but to go back in a resourcement of the beginning and origins of the church and to see the riches there and to apply them to the modern world. An engagement, not a capitulation. And one of the key elements of John's vision and direction of the Second Vatican Council was to understand the church as not simply belonging to the ordained few, to the religious few, to a select few, but that the church embodied the entire people of God. And therefore, it was essential to call the lay members of the body of Christ to their baptismal vocation and calling. Now this may seem as just an ordinary kind of uh, inside theology kind of stuff. It's not. Because there had been a movement taking place in 19th century Europe that had wound its way here called Catholic Action, which was an attempt to activate the laity, but it was done from the top down. It was more of a juridical process, and it was kind of, uh, kind of haphazard. Um, it came with the approval of the bishop through the pastor, and certain people were selected to do things in the parish to be part of it. It gained a little more traction in the United States because the United States developed a magnificent network of parochial schools and parishes, but also its voluntary organizations. For example, the Knights of Columbus and things like that, where we were more, we were used to having 
lay involvement at a deeper level than was actually taking place in Europe and in other parts of the Catholic world at the time. Also given the American culture, which is thoroughly democratic and tends to have a kind of spirit of egalitarianism about it, where we're all in this together and so on. And by our kind of historical DNA, we Americans kind of are suspicious of hierarchical kinds of thinking and association. The high and the mighty there and all the other folk here. We, we kind of bristle at that, which is one reason why we've never had kings or queens. And that was a big insistence by the founding fathers at the Constitutional Convention of what would we call the leader of the country. Some wanted this royalty. It was overwhelmingly rejected. And so the idea of having lay folk participate and kind of melting down those distinctions was something that fit into our historical DNA. And so the idea of lay involvement was something that did not meet with the necessary kind of suspicion or resistance that it had met with in Europe and in other parts of the country. But again, it was kind of um, haphazard, even here. And John the Twenty-Third insisted, insisted, for the first time ever, that there would be a special section of the documents that emerged from the Ecumenical Council directed directly to lay people in their rights, their duties, responsibilities, and privileges as members of the body of Christ. And that this would be recognized, not simply canonically, not simply handed down from a bishop or a pastor, but that the authority of you to be a full participant according to your vocation comes from your baptism and from the person of Jesus Christ. We hear a great deal of talk today about the idea of mission and evangelization and so on. That's as old as the church itself. That's as old as Christ. It's as old as Christ himself. Right before the ascension, you are to go forth and teach and baptize all peoples, all nations, all that I have taught you in the particularity of your own circumstance. You have ownership, responsibility, stewardship, and you also have the great privilege of witnessing to the Lord as the Lord of history and the Lord of salvation and the Lord of all that is through your baptism. That is not granted by any human authority or by any position or role. It comes 
with the gift of Almighty God to you as baptized. And a special document, a special section of the Second Vatican Council was aimed, and this was, this was unprecedented, this was something new, called the Apostolic Declaration of the Laity. In other words, for the first time, the church in an ecumenical council, you are apostles. You are apostles of Jesus Christ. The Greek word apostoloi, one who was sent. You are sent. You are sent into both the secular and the sacred realm. The secular realm? The secular realm is waiting to grab you right after this mass is over. It's where you live and move and have the great majority of your being, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your business, in all, in your schools, in all the activities you do. You are an apostle. You are sent through your baptism to preach and to live the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that comes from Christ himself. And therefore, this is not the church. It's not an institution. There are institutional aspects, to be sure. But the church is a communio, a community around the person of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And you, you share into that apostleship. Now, the significance of that cannot be overstated. Uh, for many today, especially of a certain age, this is standard fare. For those of a more vintage age, shall we say, sort of like a classic, huh? uh, this is something new, something new. Uh, lay people, lay people, like our, my indispensable friend there, uh, Jim, selected this morning. Uh, lay people in the morning reading, preparing mass, distributing communion. We, we just take that for granted. It's part of the furniture now. But it's not. It's revolutionary. Now, the skeptic and the cynic can say, well, yeah, well, that's the result because you're making a virtue of necessity. Because you have less priests, less nuns, less brothers. You got to grab somebody. So as a last resort, we're going to grab the lay folk, you know, naturally. When all else fails, you grab what's there. And you can cynically say that if you want, and that's fine, because some people live their life as if they had been weaned on pickles. I understand that. But uh, leaving that aside, uh, no. It is the realization that we are sharers together in the common mission of evangelization. We are mission. We are mission. We don't have a mission, like I have this piece of paper or this mat here or whatever. No, we, we are mission. 
It is in the very fiber of our being through our baptism. And so we bring to you and call you and invite you to accept our common vocation as apostles, each in our own role, each in our own position, but you bring to that part of the world you touch, especially in those areas of your expertise, that we as priests or clergy, we do not have and do not touch, but you do. You do. And each day, you are nourished at the Lord's table, nourished by the word, to go forth into that world and evangelize. Evangelize, yes. To preach and to live by your actions the gospel of Jesus Christ. Through your baptism, you are called. Through your confirmation, you are strengthened and empowered to sanctify that part of the world that you touch. Yes, sanctify it, make it holy, absolutely. And that's not just theological mumbo jumbo or spiritual on a glazed donut. It's none of that stuff. It's the very power of God working through you or being shut off by you. And so the idea of the state of the parish, the report to you, is not simply a kind of perfunctory thing that we gotta do to get it over with and let's let them know and move on. It's not that at all. It is a common apostleship, a common stewardship, and a common privilege and grace to be part of the body of Christ here on earth. You have a very vibrant school, very growing school, which is a magnificent blessing, not only to this place here, but to this community. And that message should be gotten out. That should be evangelized day in and day out. Uh, the vitality of the parish, the development of the parish, it's a great blessing. And it's because of your dedication, it's because of your commitment, because of you living your baptismal invitation and apostleship that we continue to exist and go forward not for ourselves, but for the gospel of Jesus Christ. To be faithful to Christ, go into the world and make disciples of all peoples. That's our common bond that holds all of us together. And in that spirit, I am going to mercifully step aside and uh, ask uh, Greg, please. Uh, to come forward, again, member of the Pastoral and Financial Council, to uh, give you the uh, state uh, of the parish as it is, and also uh, the goals and aspirations going forward. Because while we value the past, we always live forward in hope.
So, Greg, are you here? There you are. Please, please, please. Oh, and one other thing, I guarantee you one thing today. I never guarantee you anything. The Saints will not lose today. 